Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling, the wrestling review podcast. Today we are discussing AEW's Revolution 2020, which took place February 29th of 2020 at the Wintrust Arena in Chicago, Illinois, with a live attendance of roughly 7,000, give or take. AEW never puts in the uh, full number of people that sell the arena, but 7,000 sounds about right. Yeah. I'm your co-host, Tommy, and with me as always is... Me, Olivia. Yes, and we are... Hopping on to the last part of the 2020 bandwagon we will hit. Yes. We'll do the AEW shows. And then, of course, the few AEW and WWE shows sprinkled in. And then by, like, the beginning of April, guess what we're getting to, babe? The 80s. Yeah, we're getting to some old school wrestling. I'm for so you. excited. Yeah. Finally. We'll, we'll be getting the NWA slash WCW and WWF, of course. Then we'll get to the Attitude Era, get some ECW and WCW sprinkled in. So it should be fun. Yes. Um, but first, we only have one news thing we want to go over, and it's some pretty <coughs> big news, if you will, uh, and it's AEW related. So, Olivia, do you is... want to hit them with it? Yeah, so um, I believe it was on, what, this last week's show? Um, the Big Show came out on AEW and uh, now is a part of AEW, I guess. Yeah, Paul White, if you will, since they can't technically use the term Big Show. Right. Is all elite, which is pretty cool. So crazy. Yeah, I thought he would be a WWE guy until the day he died. He has been with that company since 1999, and they also own all of this stuff from WCW as the Giant since 1995. So that's some... Again, I'm not trying to make the pun, but some big news. Yeah, it is big news. (laughs) Um, I doubt he'll wrestle often. He's, He's... not quite 50, he's close. I can imagine he's probably more of like a figurehead. Yeah, he's going to be a announcer for the second AEW Dark Show that they're doing on like oh, Mondays. Oh, fun. I love that. But, Olivia, if he does wrestle and he wins the AEW world title, he will be the only man in history to be WWE, WCW, ECW, and AEW champion. That would be pretty dope. Yeah. I don't want the big show to win the AEW title. <laughs> I mean, for like a day. Yeah, momentarily. Just so we can... Just so we can... Brag have about bragging it. rights. Yeah, but... Anyway, um, moving on to this week's show, which um, we almost went to. Um, we tried to find tickets, but naturally, if you don't hop on that, the second they go on sale, um, they're sold out. So, yep. unfortunately, we waited a little bit. Um, more than 20, 30 minutes, and the tickets were already sold out. Also, fun fact, we are recording this, even though technically it's March 1st, since there's no February 29th this year, we are recording this on the one-year anniversary that it took place. Heck yeah. So that's also a little fun. All right, off to business. Let's make this quick. Yes, sir. We have the buy-in, of course, as we always go over. Um, the members of the Dark Order, uh, Evil Uno and Stu Grayson, with Alex Reynolds and John Silver, first time we're seeing them at the time, uh, defeated SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky. They talked about the Exalted One, which was kind of interesting because this is before Brody Lee became the Exalted One. And he would obviously, by next week's, well, not next week's, but next month's pay-per-view that we discuss, will have been in the company already. Yeah. So it's a little crazy to think. And then by the end of the year, unfortunately, he would have passed away. But also, we have the AEW uh, debut of Cole Cabana, who is a very popular independent wrestler, Chicago native. So that got a really big pop on the buy-in when he appeared, and that was a lot of fun. There's also an interview with the Jurassic Express um, talking about they're going to make sure that uh, everything goes off without a hitch today, and then they were never seen again to make sure everything went off without a hitch. 
Uh, they were seen in like the crowd, but they didn't like right. interact with anyone. <laughs> but I figured out in my research that uh, you pointed out the uh, girl interviewing them, Lexi Nair, was very pretty. Um, and so I was like, who is this girl? I've never heard of her before. She is Diamond Dallas Page's adopted daughter. Oh, or not adopted, um, stepdaughter. Sorry. Interesting. So yeah. Interesting, uh, interesting. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. You know, get a little bit of nepotism in there. <laughs> yeah, always. All right. Um, you might hear some cats eating and meowing. Um, that's because we have two wily kitties. So uh, bear with us, you know. We'll, we'll, we're doing our best. <laughs> uh, moving on to the main show. Uh, we have our grudge match with Dustin Rhodes, who briefly comes out with QT Marshall, taking on Jake Hager. And I noticed uh, when the buy-in was ending and Jim Ross, Excalibur, and Tony Schiavone were talking about the match that Jim Ross called him Jack Swagger, which I think was pretty funny because obviously funny. that's not his name. Although the names are very similar, so easy easy mistake for sure. Yeah, and JR is the one who, uh, I believe, hired Jack Swagger to WWE. Oh, wow, Because okay. they're both, like, you know, Oklahoma. And he's, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he's known him as Jack Swagger most of his career. I don't know why I put my notes way over there because I need to read them. But anyway, uh, this match came into being because, of course, everyone's kind of feuding with the inner circle, and Jake Hager is Chris Jericho's... Big bodyguard, essentially. Uh, he smashed Dustin's hand into a car, so Dustin's like, I need revenge. And, of course, what better way to do that than in the wrestling ring? As soon as... I actually wrote Jack Swagger instead of Jake Hager, so that's funny. Um, as soon as Swagger... No, as soon as Hager makes his way to the <laughs> ring, uh, Olivia gets incredibly uncomfortable because he just starts straight up making out with his wife, who's sitting in the crowd. So, thoughts on that before we continue? Good for him, I guess. <laughs> His I wife, mean, it makes sense. Not ugly, it I makes guess. sense later on in the match. Well, mm, uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Uh, it makes sense later on in the match why he does this. Um, but yeah, it was just kind of it was just kind of random. Yeah, it was a little strange. Um, we'll we'll get into why, as you said. But anyway, um, both of these men are huge. Uh, Dustin Rhodes is about six five, six six. Jake Hager is about six seven and about two hundred and eighty some odd pounds each. So it's a big hoss fight. Uh, match which leads to the outside early. As Hager clotheslines Dustin, the crowd starts a Jericho's Bitch chant because Dustin Rhodes came out with a shirt with Jake Hager on it that said Jericho's Bitch. Because, of course, Olivia, the only way, or the only insult that really gets under someone's skin in wrestling, especially if you call a man a bitch. Thoughts on that one? That's always a fun one, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a little outdated, but... uh, But they still use it. Alexa Bliss just used it, too. Yeah, it gets... uh... It makes a point, that's for sure. Yeah, you, you can't be a manly man if you're a bitch, I guess. But <laughs> anyway, uh, Hager, who is distracted by his wife, he gets kicked right in the dome. And Dustin then makes out with uh, Jake Hager's wife. Yeah, he does. Gets makeup all over her, which is kind of interesting. Another outdated thing in wrestling. Like, oh, in the 90s it was okay. I mean, it was never okay, but it was, you know, more acceptable, I guess. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Hager uh, then nails a gut-wrench powerbomb and only gets two count. Hager then goes over the ropes and straight into the steps. So he runs it. He runs it. Dustin Rhodes gets lifted into the air, and he doesn't like catch himself on the ring apron. He just flies over and smacks his face directly on the still steps. So pretty gnarly move there. Uh, Dustin then fights out of an ankle lock, but runs right into the triangle choke, and then he passes out, and the match kind of ends abruptly. But uh, Olivia, what do we think of our opener? Um, it was an okay match, so I thought that the involvement of Hager's wife is just kind of a, a little unnecessary and kind of weird. I, I get the whole point of, um, 
why she was there and like what sort of storyline they were trying to create in that moment but it was it was overall pretty unnecessary and just kind of weird um i thought it was looked super painful when hager like flew over the top ropes and just smacked his entire face and upper body on this onto the steps that was that was pretty brutal um and then the ending was just kind of lackluster so i gave this a three out of five because it was definitely a good solid match uh, however, it wasn't, like, the most showy. However, that's, like, not always necessary for, like, to have a good wrestling match. So, um, for this, it was just, like, middle of the road for me. Middle of the road for me as well. I mean, I think both guys are very good. Yeah. Um, Goldust slash Dustin Rhodes is obviously a little past his prime being a 50-plus-year-old man. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought the match was just okay. It was fine. But I think it says a lot when you're that age and you're able to, I mean, of course you're always going to be quote unquote a step behind, but I think it says a lot when you're able to wrestle and wrestle safely because I mean, we harp on, uh, Goldberg all the time for being really fucking old and it's really unnecessary for him to be in the ring and it's also super dangerous True. for him to be in the ring because I feel like he almost injures or injures somebody every time he stepped foot in the ring in the past like 10 years. Almost so. killed the Undertaker. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I agree with you. Like, he works safely, he works smartly. Same with Chris Jericho, obviously. Yeah. So there is a difference and I agree. But the match was just fine. It's okay. Kinda, yeah. It made Jake Hagel look strong, which yeah, I guess is absolutely. the whole point. Dustin Rhodes doesn't need to ever win a match again. Because he'll always be a legend. Oh, so totally. I gave it a 2.5 out of 5. Just right. the road. I yeah. thought it ended kind of abruptly. The finisher was kind of boring. Like, I get it. You're a, you were an amateur wrestler, and then you fought MMA. Yeah. But, like, a triangle choke? Yeah. Eh. Yeah, well, because the ending, they were, like, really trying to play into that whole, like, MMA thing. and yeah. But it was really just like, oh, so that's how this is going to end? But yeah. regardless. All right. So then we get a commercial for the Blood and Guts pay-per-view, which never happened. Never happened. Nope. Can you tell um, us why? Yeah. Well, COVID. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's the biggest reason. But I thought this was really funny because they literally created this pay-per-view because someone in a WWE conference call was straight up like, oh, they're just a blood and guts company and Cody Rhodes having to be the little bitter person that he is was just like, I'll show you blood and guts. Two rings in one cage. And I sat there thinking... So war games? Yeah, exactly. Because, like, they already do that. Do you think that um, this this pay-per-view will make a resurgence? Do you think that they'll go for a take-two? There's no word on it. Yeah. But here's the weird thing. I can see them trying to do it again, like, post-COVID. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's, let's just say February 29th was, like, right when it was becoming a major problem. And then, obviously, in the middle it of It would March, be, like, literally two weeks later that businesses every, were shutting down. Right. And, so, obviously, you have to change some things around. Yeah. They didn't get to do the Fighter Fest pay-per-view or the Fight for the Fallen, but they moved them to Dynamite TV specials. Right. Which was smart to do. I'm kind of wondering why they didn't do that for Blood and Guts. Maybe they really wanted to make a point, but there's really no word on it other than, like, hey, we well, I mean, cancel it. Yeah, so. well, I guess you can make the same argument about what WWE ended up doing with WrestleMania because they had to switch locations, and so they just scrapped the whole sort of pirate theme in general and like now this year they're gonna do a take two they're gonna try again um we'll which see i'm happy with because like <laughs> they deserve that pirate thing. oh totally yeah no that was like i feel like that was something that was like long in the works like this is something that they had planned out over the course of like at least a couple of years so yeah. um you know maybe maybe we'll get blood and guts one day and i i think we will i think we really will i think that probably within the next year um it might have a different name um, however, with knowing how petty 
uh, Cody in particular is. I, I can see, I can see keeping the name, um, and, you know, maybe we might see a different set design, so, mm-hmm. so who knows? Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, so moving on to the second match, again, another one that, uh, pertains to the Inner Circle. Darby Allen taking on Sammy Guevara of the Inner Circle. Uh, yes. this became a thing because, of course, the Inner Circle is attacking everyone, and Darby Allen says, you know what, I'm a risk taker, I'm going to fight the smallest guy in the Inner Circle. Because, of course, why would you want to fight Jake Hager or something? He's right. way bigger than you. <laughs> uh, so, as soon as Darby Allen gets into the ring, he flies through the ropes before the bell rings, and both guys throw each other into the barricade on the outside. Uh, there are... Then this is where we notice J- Jungle... Uh, Jungle, Ex- Jungle Express... Jurassic Express in the front row. All three members just kind of taking selfies and whatnot, which was just distracting. They were just having the time. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, they're great, but it's a little weird. Um, then... Guevara launches Alan's skateboard directly into his face, which, there's no way to really fake that one. Like, you're just taking a, wo- a plank of wood to the dome, speaking about pirates. Uh, they We get a massive 6.30 splash from the top rope through Darby Allen, through a table, on the outside. So it's not like he's even doing it on the inside. Yeah. He just, that was insane. Like And keep in mind, there there's so much that happens in this match before the bell even rings. Yeah. That included... Yeah, I agree. So, this was like the pinnacle of everything that happened before the match started. Right. Then he throws him in the ring, and then the bell rings, which I didn't even notice. (laughs) You brought it up, and I was like, oh, right, we have a match to go. (laughs) Um, Both men then get some really high-impact offense, topped off with a very scary top rope Spanish fly. I could have went wrong, but luckily at the last second, they both rotated, so it didn't look as bad. Um, Allen then hits an amazing spinning Osaka Street Cutter, and gets the pin after a very distant coffin drop from yeah. the top of the rope. But he nailed it. Oh so. my god, yeah. Uh, but Olivia, what do we think of our second match? Uh, I would say that this one was definitely a lot faster paced and way more exciting than the previous match. Um, but of course you're going to get, with two really small dudes, it's going to be kind of like a high-flying, really high-intensity, mm-hmm. really quick-paced match. Uh, I thought that that was, that, what was it, a 6.30? That was super impressive. Um, from Guevara, and I think that these two, it's, I call them the Jeff Hardy matches, where, like, they just are having one of those matches where they try to see, like, who can kill one another the fastest, and that coffin drop is just absolutely insane. Um, first of all, I would never trust myself to be able to fly backwards like that, and especially, like, all the way across the ring, so that was kind of crazy, but overall, I really actually liked this match. I gave it a four out of five just because it was one of the most impressive matches that I've seen from the both of them thus far, uh, so they they definitely had an on night in this pay-per-view. Yeah, they were both great, and Sammy looks good even in defeat. Totally. I think this is Darby's, like, tamest coffin drop if you will just yeah you he think did, so well he did the one under the cracker barrel okay which yeah was, well that was which he wildest. also landed on the steel steps and then he did the one to he tried to do it to cody but he missed and hit the side of the ring and then i don't know if you watch this dynamite it was somewhere in the middle of last year he was on this like gigantic like i think it was a hundred foot um like diving board and yeah. he did it into like the one of those gigantic pits of ball like pit of balls or whatever yeah. and i remember watching that like like, sucking in my breath as he flew down. Like, that was horrifying. Jeez. So, and granted, he's landing into, like, a pit of balls and foam, so he's not going to get right. hurt. But <laughs> still, it's, like, terrifying, especially if you're scared of heights. Um, so I gave this a 4.5 out of 5. I thought it was super fun, super fast-paced, super dangerous. But aside from that Spanish fly in, like, a really, really controlled way, which uh, I like to see I like to see both these guys work. Um, they're, they're both very interesting. And 
we'll get Darby Allen next week when we discuss Revolution 2021 because he's teaming yes. with Sting, which is going to be really interesting to see. Moving on to, I mean, I think we should just call it now, match of the night. Absolutely. <laughs> the AEW Tag Team Championship match with our champions Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page, or Hangman as Jim Ross calls him. Oh them, my god. Taking on Matt and Nick Jackson, the Young Bucks. So, I wrote a full page of notes for this. <laughs> um, and I'm just going to let you guys know that some of it's very hard to read because one, I was excited to rewatch this match. It's really hard to write out a match with these four dudes who are so fast-paced. Oh my god, so yes. So I'm just going to go over kind of the biggest spots. But if you haven't watched this match, somehow do it. It is fantastic, in my opinion, as someone who's been watching wrestling for 24 or 5 years. It's the best tag team match I've ever seen in my life. Um, and yeah, so here was the really interesting thing. The Young Buck Center... Cool, big crowd pop. Kenny Omega enters, big crowd pop. But fucking Adam Page entered to, like, thunderous ovations. Yeah. Which, I like Adam Page a lot. I think he's super talented. He is my least favorite of the three or four, if I had to pick one. Apparently, I'm in the minority here. Because anytime anyone that wasn't Adam Page did something, they were fucking booed. Yeah, exactly. No, he, <laughs> apparently, he's, like, super over in AEW. <laughs> Um, cause I have to agree, I think out of the four, like, he's probably my least favorite, but, I mean, he is obviously a fan favorite. Yeah, so, I mean, that's good news for him. And oh, I think, totally. great, I would love to totally. see him kind of feud this year with Kenny Omega and maybe take the title from him eventually. Yeah, that would be cool. It would be interesting, but anyway. super cool. Uh, the first five minutes of this match are like a show of one-upmanship between all four guys. Uh, it leads to Adam Page spitting in Matt Jackson's face. Let's, also, these four are friends, they're members of the Elite, right? Like, it's them... And Cody, um, which is great, but there's kind of like this crack even between the tag champs themselves. Like, oh, do we value friendships over the championships? So Adam Page is technically the bad guy in this scenario. Yeah. If you're watching the Dynamites leading up, but he's still like beloved anyway. Um, anyway, he spits in Matt Jackson's face, which again, COVID. I mean, come on. We knew again, but we weren't taking it seriously. <laughs> we talked about this with Elimination Chamber too, just like. So many people in the crowd, and like we knew, right? Yeah. And we'll we're gonna get worse things on this show than just spit in the face, even though we do get two or three more people spitting in someone's face. Yeah, we get lots of germ transfer yeah. in this pay per view. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of hot tags. Uh, the first one who get the hot tags are the Young Bucks, uh, Nick Jackson, House Fire. It's very fun, um, where he gets about three or four minutes of offense, taking out the champions themselves. Uh, Kenny Omega attempts a tope Cita, but Matt hits him midair with a super kick, which was really cool. Uh, Paige gets his own hot tag later. He drops the buck, Bucks with a uh, fallaway slam, over the top rope molly go round, and a huge moonsault onto both of his friends on the outside. There is a fun... I always love when there's like a punch battle, and it's like the boo, yeah, so if someone that you don't right. want to put... I love that. <laughs> so we get that between Matt, and, Matt Jackson and Adam Page. Um, then there is a... Spot where Matt Jackson gets launched into a German suplex, but whoever was throwing him didn't launch him the correct way, which means Kenny Omega didn't catch him the correct way, which means Matt Jackson landed on, like, the top of his head, and that was horrifying. But yeah. again, he rebounded out of it, which was really good. You always want to see someone, if it's going to be a mess-up, at least roll out of it, which is solid. Uh, there is a massive top rope follow-away slam um, from Adam Page, and then Kenny Omega hits a V-trigger. Kenny then finally becomes a house of fire. This is like the first time he's known noticed in the match about 15 minutes in. Hits numerous V-triggers and a Tiger Driver 98. 
The Bucks then spike Paige on the ramp with the Indy Taker, which was really cool to see. I thought they were going to go for the Meltzer driver, but I don't think Nick Jackson would have had enough time to spin onto the ramp. Because, again, the ramp is adjacent with the ring instead of being right. down, so it's a lot harder to hit those high-flying moves. Uh, we get a super kick party, or a super kick party. Numerous super kicks to Kenny Omega, but he kicks out at one, which was really cool, and then he, like, hulks up, but then he gets super kicked numerous times again. Uh, Paige then catches Nick off the apron with a powerbomb, powerbombs him through the table on the outside, and then hits, they hit Matt Jackson with the combo V-trigger buckshot, but Matt somehow kicks out to keep the Young Bucks alive. Adam Page then steals Kenny Omega's finisher and hits the one-winged angel, and I was like, oh shit, is this how the match ends? I don't remember. But it is broken up at the last minute by Nick Jackson. Adam Page, very pissed off, hits both Bucks with a buckshot lariat. That's kind of funny, I didn't realize that. Bucks with a buckshot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Adam Page and Kenny Omega retain the tag team championships. They go to show some sportsmanship afterwards, but Adam Page is like, nah, fuck no, Kenny, let's get out of here. And the Bucks are like, all right, cool. To end, um, are, are we just going to say a five out of five? Like, uh, I think it's a five out of five. Yeah, you think so? I, but I'm sh- I, it is to me. This is, match is amazing. It was my second well, favorite match of last year. I was very close. I gave it a 4.5 out of 5. Oh, no. Yeah. Why? Just you gotta, because... You gotta not tell me why you're knocking off that half point. Because when you don't... It's one thing to, you know, execute wrestling moves that are just very hard to do. And so when you do execute them and execute them correctly, they're super impressive. But of course, you know, as you said before, there were just like those couple of botches in there that just like... When you have a perfect match, it's perfect in all sectors. And I would say that this one almost hit every mark so the one thing that really sold this match for me was not only I mean the first of all these dudes are super athletic super talented like I don't need to explain that any further but I think in which the way that like all of these men were able to you know further their storyline and tell a story within the match uh is absolutely incredible um it makes you feel a certain way it influences the crowd in a certain way um then not only gets them really excited but makes the crowd super invested so I mean in all of those spots like super impressive perfection but of course like I said there's those you know you have to you know be technically precise as well and when you, you slip up a little bit and when you you know botch a couple matches it was then, that German or, suplex yeah, wasn't it yeah well exactly yeah, yeah so um so yeah so I would say it's almost perfect oh, I love this it match is then. my match of the night so okay. I, I will at say least, that <laughs> at least we have that um I also forgot to mention that Adam Page and Kenny Omega took the tag team championships off of SoCal Uncensored, who were the first champs. Yes. During uh, an episode of Dynamite, but it was also mixed with Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, which he does on this, like, giant, um, what are those things called? Not a boat. A cruise ship. A cruise ship, thank you. Um, which is pretty cool. I would love to do one of those, but at the same time, I would also hate to be on a cruise ship. I was so going like to ask you, would you, would you want to to participate in that? I mean, yeah, but also no, like no? at the same time. Cause, like, yeah, is there a, like a, something that's like holding you back? From I just, I don't want to be on a cruise ship. It's not like I, I, I don't like fear it. the sea. I don't get seasick. I just don't want to be on a cruise ship, you know, because I want to do the kiss cruise too. Right. But like, I don't want to be on a cruise ship. Like, There's something super <laughs> unsettling about cruise ships because not only are you out in like the middle of the ocean, uh, in certain circumstances to where like you literally have nowhere to escape but then also it's kind of just one of those things for me where I not only get claustrophobic but then they're kind of dirty as well like yeah you know, like I don't know how else to explain it other than it's just like a hotel on water and like hotels are notoriously like pretty <laughs> gross and 
uh, yeah, I have, like, I don't know, I'm super weird about that kind of stuff, just an aside, like, even when I was a kid, like, I would bring blankets with me when we went to hotels, and I would, like, lay a blanket underneath me, and then, like, sleep with one of my own personal blankets, because <laughs> I did not trust the sheets and the comforters that were, was on, like, hotel beds. I've been there, too, especially like, in, like, gross. Las Vegas. Like, I'm pretty uh. sure there was one time where I literally slept in a chair, Rather than, which probably, thinking back now, that chair was probably way more unsanitary than the actual bed itself. <laughs> but I just was, like, super paranoid that I was going to get bed bugs. <laughs> Gross. So, yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. Hotels and uh, cruise ships. Not right. thing. So, let me just go quickly over Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rage Red Sea. Okay. The first one happened in 2018. And this was before AEW was a thing, obviously. So, it's a music and wrestling themed cruise. Um, he had people from Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, other indies. Takas Jericho is, did a podcast there. He had bands play. Um, of course, Fosse played. Cause of course, yeah. That. They skipped 2019, but they did the second one, which was... I'm just going to read the name to you. This is why I wanted to talk about this. Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea Part 2. And then, colon, the second wave. Oh, my God. Because, of course, of it's course called that. Of course he's going to call it that, yeah. And then this year, which is apparently taking place in October... Uh, Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling at Sea Triple Whammy is going to be the name of that one. So, gotcha. And of course, Fozzie's playing this year. Fozzie played last year too. Um, interesting. Oh, he'll have Striper playing as well. Do you know who Striper is, babe? I've heard of them before. So Striper is a hair metal band. Yeah. And as you know, I'm a huge fan of '80s hair metal. But Striper is interesting because a Chris Jericho took those like black and yellow colors he wears from them because they would always wear black and yellow. But they are a Christian hair metal band. Oh. <laughs> uh, they have an album called To Hell with the Devil. Of course. They're not very good, but apparently he's a fan of theirs. So, you know, good for you, Chris. Interesting. He is, he is a pretty big religious man. Anyway, we should Anyways. be moving on from that perfect tag team match that we saw. Our fourth match is the AEW Women's Championship match. Our new champion, Nyla Rose, taking on Chris Statlander. Uh, Nyla won the title on the February 12th episode of Dynamite from Riho. So she's only been champion for about two and a half weeks at this point. Uh, and she's taking on relative newcomer Chris Statlander, who is from the Andromeda Galaxy, of course. Um, there's a really funny joke because she had had the flu like a couple weeks before this happened, which makes me also think like maybe she had COVID and no one knew. Um, yeah. Yeah, but Excalibur makes a remark where he goes, "Well, she's an alien." Or Jr. says, "How did she get sick if she's an alien?" And Excalibur says, "Well, you know, aliens aren't used to our atmosphere, so they could get really sick coming into our atmosphere." And that's a really good po- like storytelling thing with her character because she is an alien. Right. That's what she always says she yeah. is. So it's pretty fun. We also saw her first AEW match when you and I went to Dynamite. That we did in December of twenty nineteen. Anyway, unfortunately, this match had to follow the last match. So it kind of suffered a little bit from <sighs> yeah, that. Yeah, it so, really did. Because naturally, someone in charge was just like, oh, let's put the women on afterwards. Like, huh. Anyway, uh, Nyla drops Chris early with a shoulder block. And of course, right off the bat, Chris botches a kip-up, which kind of sucked. Because, like, she's really talented and athletic. I think maybe the nerves got to her a little bit. But she tries to kip up and, like, just kind of like, lands girl, on the butt. you're all legs. Like, that should be easy for you. <laughs> Yeah, she's she's tall though. She's like six one. Well, it doesn't but. matter when like seventy five percent of your body is just pure thigh meat. Like you should be able to hoist yourself up. Yeah, um, Nyla Rose absolutely crushes her opponent with a middle rope spear. Statlander then gains some momentum and very slowly hits a super kick. The match begins to pick up as Statlander smashes the champ with a two t- uh, two tope suicidas and a shotgun dropkick. 
Rose then positions to land her on the ropes to go for her kind of diving headbutt. But as she climbs to the turnbuckle, Statlander handstands off, which was really impressive, and then gets on her knees and boops, Nyla right on the nose. Nyla Rose's nose, which I thought was cute. Uh, we get a very scary moment as both women cannot complete a uh, superplex and Rose lands pretty much right on her face, which is not fun. Uh, there's another scary moment as both women almost fuck up a beast bomb from the top rope because both of these girls are big like i'm not they're not fat but they're they're big they're muscular they're thick um so getting to the top rope when you weigh a little bit is probably going to be a little difficult anyway um they land the beast bomb and nyla rose retains her championship so olivia what do you think of the women's championship match yeah so i have to agree with sort of the sentiment that you were uh indicating before we started to discuss this match and i just feel as though there's somebody that's working in production behind the scenes that still holds the sentiment that the women's match is the bathroom break match because this match was definitely the low point of the night unfortunately and it just it just sucks because not only is it just super slow but there are so many botches in this match and so, um, I just, <sighs> I was super upset by this, especially considering, you know, I don't mean to like, you know, harp on old feelings, but like, of course, this is the only women's match in the night. So you don't even really have anything to compare it to. I think you should totally keep on saying that every time. Cause maybe it'll get the point across. And it, well, it just sucks. Cause it's like, God, like not only do we only have one women's match, but then like, it's not even, it's not exciting. Um, it's kind of a snooze fest and, uh. There wasn't anything that was like super riveting or super impressive about it. It was technically flawed. Uh, there was really no storyline um, that was you know strong and supportive of this match. So I just here's the thing: it was riddled with missteps and botches, and they're very noticeable and can totally play a role in how you know the crowd feels and the general crowd mood. Um, but then also just like the overall quality of the match. So not only do you have a dead crowd. Um, who, you know, obviously a lot of them were taking bathroom breaks and it's just, everyone was quiet. And when it's quiet, that means that, uh, you're not doing your job. So this sucked. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, what, what, what was your grade? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I was actually pretty generous with this. I gave it a 2.5 out of 5. All right. I gave it the same because I think they tried. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and they're both very talented women. The problem is sometimes... Two people just don't mesh together. This has happened with Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect. That's always my example. Like, who's going to have a better match than Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect together? Obviously not them. Right. And sometimes that happens here. You just you can both be super talented and just not work well together. Definitely. It also hurts them that they put this match after the tag title match because that, that crowd was so wore out. They needed, like... That's what breather. I'm saying, yeah. And unfortunately, you have to have another match because they're not going to be WWE and put a random concert in here. Will you, Cody Rhodes? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so you're just, you're kind of worn out. I've been there before where there's a match that's probably decent, but I'm just like, fuck, I'm tired. Like, I need a break before I can cheer again. Definitely. And that's unfortunately what this match was. Yeah. But also, the next match is Cody versus MJF. And I'd say until the very end, the crowd was also pretty tired. Oh, totally. For them, too. The crowd yeah, so it's not just for the women. Yeah, but... the crowd didn't pipe up until Orange Cassidy came right. out later. But... Anyway, I gave it a 2.5 out of 5. Could have been better. Unfortunately, Chris Statlander went down with a huge injury that was keeping her out for about a year yeah. in like June. So, anyway, moving on. Moving on. To our fifth match, a grudge match. Uh, Maxwell Jacob Friedman 
with Wardlow taking on the American Nightmare Cody Rhodes with Brandy, Arn Anderson, Dustin Rhodes, and a bunch of other fucking people that... Did you recognize any of these other eight people that he was coming to the ring with? That no. weren't the band? No. Okay. Good. So, Co- we said before the match starts how extra is Cody's... How Triple H is Cody's entrance going to be. And, oh boy, was it very. Not only does he come out with his wife, which is a Triple H staple, but he comes out with the band who sings his song, playing his song... And uh, I didn't notice that this band was Downstate, who is known for singing Dolph Ziggler's stupid-ass song and the Miz's song. Pretty interesting to see them in AEW. Um, you know, you, what other, like, really legendary wrestler, Olivia, um, used to come out to a band playing them to the ring quite often? Uh, I can't think of his name. It's Hunter Hearst Helmsley? <laughs> Something like that. Um, with his wife most of the time as well. Yeah. So, little Triple h I just, I don't know if he's doing it intentionally or unintentionally because he said time and time again how he's not Triple H, but is he doing it in a way to like, is he, is he so hyper aware that he's like, I'm going to do it just to like mock you. And because I mean, technically in these situations, even when he does wrestle against somebody like MJF, he's still technically the heel for whatever reason. So, I mean, that is a pretty heelish thing to do. Or is he so blissfully unaware that he's just doing the very thing that he despises? It's probably a mix of both. Are we gonna give him the are we gonna give him the credit or I mean he's talented. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll give him that. So the first thing I noticed about Downstate singing is like I like the Miz's song. It's really fun. But hearing this band live, this guy is not carrying. Oh his my god, well. he no. He couldn't fucking carry if he had a five gallon bucket, yeah, like Jesus Christ. No offense, dude. I'm tone deaf. I can't sing at all. But like I don't try to. But the second thing I noticed is Cody has the nightmare collective tattoo on his neck. Yes. It's the first time and I do not tell people where to get tattoos. That is your body. You put tattoos where you want. However, as someone who has 20 plus tattoos and I have a couple bad tattoos, I'm going to say this tattoo sucks. And not because it's on his neck and not because it's red, white, and blue. It's because it is janky. It's wonky. The stars don't match. The lines are shaky. The color's too dark. Yeah. This was not a good tattoo. It was just, I think that when. It, well, here's the difficult part, is that when somebody's so set on having it in a particular place, you have to make them, like, very aware that it's gonna, it's gonna move, you know? It's gonna, like, your skin is gonna move, um, you know, when you twist your neck, obviously. Um, I was made very aware of that when I got my very first tattoo, um, and I wanted it on my forearm, and he was like, listen, no matter how straight I get this, if you're, like, when you're twisting your arm and pictures and stuff like that, it's gonna look kind of fucked up you know what I mean so you gotta be you gotta be very not only set on this is the location that you want it this is the size that you want and you also have to just be aware that no matter what it's gonna kind of look a little wonky but I think the problem is with his neck tattoo not to go on a whole entire you know side rant about this but it it's almost as if like I mean I understand the shape of the tattoo and location of the tattoo like it's always gonna look just a bit off because if you do it smaller than it is it's almost going to look kind of strange and mm-hmm. you don't get as, you don't see as much of the detail and especially it's not going to pick up on camera. Um, but if you do it too big, then it sort of has that sort of like, almost like trapezoid, like, you know, very diagonal kind of look to it yeah. when it's not supposed to look like that. Right. Um, I mean, of course, like I've not seen like pictures of it up close, so I couldn't tell you like, you know, how good the line work is or how good the shading is. Um, I do, I can tell you it 
just based on like seeing it at this pay-per-view and then seeing it today that it's faded very quickly um which I mean of course you're gonna get that with any sort of like super like pigmented like color saturation like that that you need at least a couple of different sessions to be able to like pound that pig- pigment back into the tattoo itself that's and why I, that's why most artists give you like a free um like year you, they give you like a year to get a free touch up right yeah exactly so i think that maybe that's where he's going wrong because like now it just looks very faded and it looks like it's been on his body for five years when it's been on there for like a year yeah so. and he also got it like two days before the show which is stupid it's so, <laughs> so stupid oh my god so stupid here's the thing i don't this guy is worth a lot of money and i can understand when you don't have a lot of money and you really want a tattoo, you'll pay to get a really, like, not a great tattoo. Yeah, like, okay. But when you're rich and you get a bad tattoo, Ben Affleck, um, <laughs> I just gotta wonder why you don't pay the money for, like, the best artist. Right. Yeah. This, this, I just want to let everybody know, this won't be our last conversation about bad tattoos in wrestling, because trust me, there are a lot of wrestlers that have their fair share of bad tattoos, so this Mm -hmm. is, you will not hear the end of this, but no, I totally agree, especially with, like, the wealth and notoriety that he has, like, me personally, if I was in that position, like, I would seek out, like, the most talented and, like, the most notable tattoo artist to be able to do this for me, and to, like, you know, it kind of says a lot about, like, the type of tattoo artist that did this tattoo for him because it's his very first tattoo. No, it's not. And He's it, got the dream tattoo Oh, yeah, you're chest. right. Okay, so very, first b- big tattoo. Like, I mean, come on. Like, a word, like... <laughs> A two-inch word, like... God, he's like every girl okay. that turns 18. Right, exactly, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> you're really gonna pick the neck area? Like, I understand, like, if... And that's that's the thing, is, like, of course, like, he's gonna beat wrestling his whole life. He doesn't have to worry about, like, you know, getting another job somewhere. But that's, like, something that people should be aware of, is that, like, you know, whatever profession you're in, you better be sure that you have a lot of job security, because a lot of times tattoo artists... You know, particularly when it's, like, somebody who's younger or, you know, in my case, like, because I'm a woman, they're going to tell you, don't do it on your hands, don't do it on your face, don't do it on your neck. Mm-hmm. God, I trash on Cody a lot. I just want to say, if he <laughs> hears this, I when I met you and your wife, you two were the sweetest people. You signed a Big Grove menu for me. You took a picture with me. You guys are great. Yeah. But I do also like to bust his balls because of the whole Triple H thing and the tattoo. Oh, thing. totally. No, like, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm i going to you know kind of harp on just anybody. It's not that we're singling him out yeah, by any means. exactly. But... He's also much more talented and much more rich than I will ever be. So <laughs> that goes without saying. Speaking of talent, you put on a pretty fucking cracking match here with MJF. Yeah. We've been through their story. MJF was his prodigy. Turned on him at full gear. Cost him the world title. Technically, Cody, in retrospect, can never challenge for that title again. Not even just when Chris Jericho was champion, but he said ever again. Yeah. Which he hasn't done. So that's impressive for the head of the company to not be in the main title picture. Anyway, starting off with the match, uh, bell rings and MJF uh, bells in the ring to boost. Um, He bells into the crowd and flips off all of the crowd, which was great because the last thing you want to do is piss off either a Chicago crowd or a Philadelphia crowd. And he's pissing off a Chicago crowd right now. And he pisses them off even more by grabbing a fan's beer, a beer that they paid for, and throwing it into another fan's face. Which is just like, bro, what? That's bold. It's bold. It's very bold. He's probably like, ah, security's right there. Nothing's going to happen. Right. Anyway, Cody runs uh, to the top of the ramp, uh, through the curtain, or the entrance ramp, then runs back around and clotheslines MGF into the ring, which was one of the funniest and most ridiculous... Ways to clothesline someone I've ever seen in my life. 
Uh, Wardlow attends to MJF. Brandy grabs another beer from a fan and throws it in Wardlow's face. Again, COVID, guys. These people yeah. are drinking out of beers with their nasty-ass germs. You're going to throw beer in other people's faces. Exactly. Um, God, beer's great, though. Uh, seconds later, Wardlow gets hit with a top rope suicida. Or tope suicida, sorry. And this is where the crowd, I noticed, really started to pick up. Uh, Cody gets dropped by Wardlow, and MJF takes control with many minutes of rest holds. MJF, who started bleeding because Cody hit him with the disaster kit, kick, uh, starts to rip off uh, Cody's boot and his mess with his injured foot. So Cody did a moonsault off of a very high cage um, a couple weeks prior on Dynamite and injured his foot. It's a nice little storytelling. But he rips off his boot, grabs his foot, and starts to bite Cody's foot to a you sick fuck chant, which was pretty great. It's not something you see very often. Uh, then Cody and MJF m- meet at the top rope as Cody hits a massive reverse DDT. Arn and Wardlow start to get into it, and Arn Anderson, who has been retired for many years due to neck injuries, gets cracked right in the face with Cody's boot. I don't like to see an old man go down. It's not fun. It's it's kind of scary, but he was fine, apparently. Um, the very bloody MJF takes off Cody's belt, but before he gets to use it, Cody grabs the belt and starts whipping MJF with it. Again, is this not a weapon? Or like, right? Are weight belts not weapons? Because I feel like they should be. I agree. <laughs> MJF, laying on the floor, super bloody, super gross, super beat down, begins to whine and cry and try and ask Cody for forgiveness. And Cody lifts him up, and as he does so, MJF was faking and spits in his face, so Cody retaliates with two crossroads, but somehow MJF recovers, kicks Cody right in the nuts, grabs his uh, diamond ring from his crotch area, punches Cody in the face, and gets the surprise win, and I'd say the biggest win of his career. Yeah. So, Olivia, what do we think of this match? Um, I do have to agree that the ending was pretty surprising with MJF pulling off a win, uh, I don't have much to say about this match just because it's kind of the same motions that I've seen these two go through, um, particularly when they're in matches together. Uh, however, I do think it was fairly brutal. Um, it was pretty disgusting when MJF bit Cody's toes, and then we see Cody just perform the remainder of the match, was, which I'm pretty sure was a significant amount of time, with only one boot on. So. I'd say he had the boot on maybe like 30% of the match. Right, yeah. So, um... <laughs> I would have to say it's not, like, I, well, although it was brutal, it wasn't, like, the most brutal match that these two have been in. Uh, and, like I said, surprising ending, but, you know, it's kind of one of those things where it's also, again, sort of run-of-the-mill for these two, where Cody always acts like he's, like, absolutely dead at the end of, like, every match. <laughs> like, he acts like he's absolutely dying. Um, he got hit in the face with a pretty big diamond. I mean, yes, but he always acts like, oh, like... <laughs> I'm barely living, you know. Do you know who uh, else? Do you know what other legendary wrestler also does that after they lose a match? <laughs> Fucking Triple H. Uh, which I mean, I guess helps to sell it, but like not really if that's how you end every single match. Yeah. Uh, so for that, I just give it a three point five out of five. Okay. Yeah. I give it a four out of five. I thought okay. it was really entertaining. Um, I loved watching MJF get his ass kicked because as much as I love MJF. What you want to see is him get the shit kicked out of him. Right. Which is exactly what happened here. Even so much so that he accidentally started bleeding and he bled a lot. Uh, which was nice to see Cody not bleed for once. And the cat oh, just wow. walked across my laptop. But um, she also wanted to interject. 
But I thought this was a lot of fun. I liked uh, Brandy and Wardlow and Arn Anderson getting involved. I thought that was yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, especially because Brandy tried to like cross body Wardlow out of nowhere. Yeah. And then he caught her. And I'm like, girl, what were you going for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like how her outfit you... was very cute though. Yeah, she had on the like the white cutoff and the yeah the, the studded jeans. denim shorts, which yeah. were super cute. Yeah, good match. Blue boots. MJF going over, I think, was the right decision because that's how you build definitely. definitely your future star, who I think is going to end up feuding with Brody Lee's kid when he's old enough to wrestle. So that'll be really fun. That would be really but, cool. Because especially because MJF keeps tweeting like "fuck that kid" all the time, so which is just really funny to tweet about a ten year old. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Brody's ten. Yeah. <laughs> His dad died. MJF. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, I don't know if I've told this story before. I know you know it, but on this podcast, I mean that when I met MJF as well, he was with. Uh, the Butcher and the Blade and the Bunny, or Allie, as she's also known. I went to shake his hand because I was like, oh, MJF. And he went to do it as well. But as he got close to me, he moved his hand up and did the old hand behind the hair, which I thought was hilarious because he's such an asshole and like that. And I thought it was great. But my boss was so pissed off because people I know don't watch wrestling. So they right, don't kind so of get don't that character. Yeah. And I was like, no, he was like ready to fight him. I'm like, first off, Scott, calm down. Yeah. Secondly, <laughs> he would kick your yeah. ass. It's totally fine. That's hilarious. I love that. So, anyway, fun little story. Moving on to our semi-main event, and what I would argue is before the show, the match I was looking forward to the most, because we have the grudge match between the bastard Pac. I hate that nickname. But they also started calling him the Honey Badger, which I think is funny. <laughs> Taking on freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy with the best friends Chucky e. T and Trent Beretta. Again, this is going to be a really hard match to call because... If you don't know about Orange Cassidy, is he's he wrestles what's called sloth wrestling, very lazy wrestling. The whole lead up to this is Pac thinks he's just a big joke. So Orange Cassidy is like, oh, I'll have a match with you, I guess, if you want me to. I'll try. And then like the whole lead up is just like Tramperetta being like, he's gonna try. And then Chucky e. T being like, well, he might try. We'll see. And Pac is obviously an established wrestler. He's a brawler. He's a, a technical assassin. He's a high flyer. And Orange Cassidy is just known for, like, wrestling with his hands in his pockets. So, before the bell even rings, we get a holy shit chant. We get a no pulp chant. We get a freshly squeezed chant. We get a this is awesome chant. Before the bell even rang, which I just think is amazing. Because that is selling Orange Cassidy to be, like, the greatest thing on the planet. Cassidy goes to do his little hands in his pockets thing. But as he puts his hands down, Pac stops them. And we get... The most devastating maneuver of all time, the shin kicks, the lazy kicks, and the crowd is going fucking batshit crazy. Because if you've never seen him, he just like lightly kicks someone's shins. And the crowd sells it as if someone is getting hit in the face with a kendo stick. And it is the greatest thing on the planet. Then we get dual lazy kicks. So Orange Cassidy hits one, Pac hits one, Orange Cassidy hits one, so on and so forth. Which might just be one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. That's the cat trying to get into my backpack. We get more of this is awesome chance. Then we get a fight forever chant. Keep in mind, guys, we have had no moves. <laughs> <laughs> so, just fantastic. Then, Pot goes to throw Orange Cassidy, or he gets his hands in his pockets finally. He goes to throw Orange Cassidy near the ropes, and somehow, and I cannot figure out how you do this, he hit an arm drag with his hands in his pocket, which might be the most impressive thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Because to do an arm drag, you need to grab your opponent's arms. But with your hands in your pockets, you can't really do that. At this point, Pac starts to get really pissed off, really frustrated. He hits Orange Cassidy with a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker, and from this moment on, the match is pretty much all Pac as he completely 
kicks the crap out of Orange Cassidy. It was a super kick, drop kicks, crushes Cassidy with a top rope brain buster. Uh, as Pac is going to go for his black arrow finisher, Orange Cassidy just kind of slothly rolls to the other side of the ring. Again, we'll get a little comedy. So Pac's like, fuck this, goes to the other turnbuckle. But as he goes for his finisher again, Orange Cassidy rolls to the other side of the ring. And he keeps, like, Pac is going around the ring and Orange Cassidy just keeps rolling to the other side, smiling. It's very funny. And then Pac is distracted and Orange Cassidy kips up, again with his hands in his pockets, and hits a toe pace to a seat out of nowhere. Now he's trying. Um, there's also a crowd chant where they're saying he might try, which is just, this is, might be the best crowd chant match I've ever seen in my life. Uh, Cassidy presses triangle for a comeback, which I like to say if you've ever played the WWE games. He hits an orange punch, but he's then cut off at the top rope after he goes for a crossbody. He somehow then hits a diving DDT and almost gets the two, or almost gets the three, and Pac rolls out of the ring. Surprise, bitch, here come the Lucha Brothers. They appear out of nowhere to fight the best friends, which distracts Orange Cassidy enough for Pac to lock in the Brutalizer and knock out his opponent via submission. Well, Olivia, I am dying to know. What you think of this match? So I just have to say, like, matches like this make me miss crowds so much. And I just think it's so fun and exciting just how over Orange Cassidy is. And it just proves to you that, like, wrestling fandom isn't dead. And I don't know. Like, I I just think that this is, like, true classic wrestling crowd for me. Uh, so, you know, I think it was, like, super funny, like, the beginning of the match where, you know, of course Orange Cassidy's not trying, um, and I think that when you see, you know, at least a couple of his matches, like, not only do you get it, but you are sort of invested, um, especially in this particular match where it's, like, he might try, uh, and I think that it was, like, super awesome and just, like, makes for, like, a really satisfying crescendo when he, likes quote-unquote powers up and he hits, like, this sick DDT, um, and the only bad part about that was I was kind of annoyed that, like, you know, you know, now Orange Cassidy's sort of powered up, and I think in this sort of moment, I would have to say that Pac was supposed to at least somewhat sell it, but of course, you know, he did a whole Kogan and didn't sell it at all and got <laughs> up immediately afterward, which kind of annoyed me. Um, and the only other, like, bone to pick I have with this match is that I really didn't understand the whole point of, like, I mean, I understand, like, the Lucha Brothers coming out trying to attack best friends in order to distract Orange Cassidy long enough, but other than that, like, I don't really see, like, you could have come up with a lot of things to, like, distract him. Um, well, they've been feuding with best friends a little bit at this point. So. Well, yeah, no, I get that, but, like, then it kind of just, I, I, I don't, I struggle to find another word, so I'm going to say this, it kind of muddles the match um, in terms of storytelling and it just distracts from, you know, kind of what was going on inside the ring. Um, of course, you know, the the whole point of that being that Orange Cassidy was distracted so that the so that Pac could get the win via submission. Um, so I had really mixed feelings on this one. So you might really? be disappointed by my by my rating. Uh, so I gave this a three out of five, and let me explain why. I love Orange Cassidy. I don't really like Pac. I feel like he is kind of a very one-dimensional character. Um and it felt a bit disjointed with the interference from the Lucha Brothers. I mean, I sort of get it, but kind of don't. Um, but other than that, it was like a very solid match. So, three out of five for me. Okay. Well, let me say my piece before I get my grade. So, I understood the Lucha Brothers thing. Because right. going into this match, it's a foregone conclusion Pac is going to win. Like, of everything you know about this paper, you're like, Pac's going to win this match. Like, yeah. And it's going to be really entertaining, but Pac's going to win. 
But that little bit at the end was just like, oh shit, is Orange Cassidy going to win this match? Right. And he almost did. And yeah. And it wasn't for the Lucha Brothers, you could argue he was going to win, which I think is really good storytelling. Because then it's going to make this like brutal, I hate to use the term, but like bastard of a guy like feel embarrassed from losing to this joke of a wrestler in a sense. For sense. sure. But he ended up winning because his little cronies came out to help him, which I really liked. Pac looked great in this match. I mean, he's a very good wrestler. Um, but I agree, he's a little one-dimensional. But he's kind of he's gone from like the Adrian Neville character from that we knew from NXT and WWE to Pac and kind of changed his offense a little bit. He's not so much high flying, but he's more brawling and technical now, which I think is good because he broke his leg in WWE. Yeah. So it's kind of hard to be able to do those moves again after you break your leg. For sure. And he's he's been pretty impressive, I think. But it was Orange Cassidy. That was great in this match. And Pac helped him completely along the way. Somehow you did an uh, arm drag with your hands in your pockets. The lazy kicks. The crowd chants. Which, like I just said, were the funniest crowd chants I've ever heard in my life. How the hell are you going to have a fight for every chant when people are just kicking each other in the chins? <laughs> and it's amazing. And that's exactly what I wanted. And then to see him almost win at the end because he did hype up. Like, if he does try, this is how good he's going to be. For sure. I'm sure he fell short. But he moved on to... Bigger and better things in 2020 because now after this, he drew the ire of Chris Jericho, which I would argue was the most entertaining feud of 2020. But I gave it a 4.5 out of 5 just okay. for how fun it was. And if it, if this match would have happened in like March with no crowds, it probably wouldn't have been as good. But this crowd made this match oh, elevated sure. from probably like your grade, like a 3.5-ish area to that 4.5. And... Man, Orange Cassidy is great. And it's a real bummer that even though AEW is still using a little bit of crowds, that he's kind of fallen off a little bit. But I'm hoping maybe at the end of the year or the beginning of next year when things are a lot more solidified, solid, solidified, not solidified, that Orange Cassidy gets bumped up back to where he was beforehand. And now moving on to our main event, the AEW World Heavyweight Championship match. Chris Jericho, our champion taking on John Moxley. I forgot to mention Chris Jericho is accompanied to the ring by Santana and Ortiz. And he's also accompanied kind of to the ring by a acapella choir singing Judas, which was pretty cool. Um, I thought it sounded great and the crowd went kind of bananas for it. Yeah, it was Which was dope. awesome, yeah. Moxley enters from the outside into the arena through the crowd into the ring. And this is February in Chicago and he's wearing nothing but like a vest. So he's probably pretty cold. But adrenaline, I guess, might make you warmer. Probably. <laughs> anyway, uh, Moxley immediately is a house of fire, takes it to the outside as both men fight in the crowd. Uh, Moxley, again, battles COVID by biting Chris Jericho in his face stitches. So, it's just a lot of that going on here. People not caring. I guess we're watching wrestling through the year 2020, so no one really cared that much. But, anywho, uh, Mox gets busted open via the ring post and suffers a powerbomb through the ring table, which was pretty cool. Uh, both Moxley and Jericho trade the momentum for a few minutes. Santana and Ortiz beat up Moxley on the outside while referee Aubrey, Esward, Aubrey Edwards is distracted. Mox then gets Jericho in the walls of Jericho, but Jake Hager appears to break it up out of nowhere. Jericho then gets into it with Aubrey Edwards, and I know this isn't the first time that they've had this like little back and forth, but it really led into a 2020 where she always caught the ire of Jericho, which seems to be a lot of people do that to him. Uh, and it causes her to eject the inner circle from the match in probably the best referee 
uh, ejection I've ever seen because she does like the hand motion that she's going to point to the back, which I never get why they have to do the wind up. But then she does like a spin as she's doing it in points. And like Santana takes this like bump on the apron as if he got like, shot with a gun. So again, just great humor playing into a world title match with like two badasses wrestling, but also a little bit of humorous moments here. Uh, as she is distracted by getting the inner circle out of the ring, Sammy Guevara shows up out of nowhere and hits Moxley with the championship belt, but he kicks out his two. Jericho then works Moxley over for a little bit, and I cannot believe I forgot to mention this until now, but due to the lead-up to this match, John Moxley was supposed to join the inner circle. That was the whole point, and he goes, of course I'll join you guys. And then as they're about to crack open a little bit of the bubbly, Moxley goes, I, I'm just kidding. And that's literally how he says it. He's like, I'm just kidding. And then he busts the the bubbly over Jericho's head. Chris Jericho in retaliation took one of the spikes from his jacket and stabbed Moxley in the eye, blinding him. Turns out that was just a ruse. Moxley takes off this eye patch he's been wearing the whole time. He's like, haha, I can see. Hits Jericho with an elevated paradigm shift and we have a new champion. Unseating our very first champion, Chris Jericho. And then John Moxley cuts a very lame and boring promo about how I couldn't have done it without the fans. This title and AEW belong to you. Which I think really took away from the moment because like, that's not the kind of character John Moxley is. And it was a little lame. But, Olivia, what do you think? Okay, so uh, this match was super gross and super brutal. <laughs> I absolutely loved uh, the whole like eye patch ruse there at the end. Um, that was pretty awesome. It's kind of a Randy ruse, but no Randy Orton, right? <laughs> absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, this was a really good match, I thought. I gave it a four out of five just because, again, it was super brutal. I thought the storytelling and the, the last second shift in the match had left the crowd excited and speechless, and it made for a very surprising but satisfying win. And I do kind of disagree with you about, uh, his little speech at the end because I think that I like the fact that you can just like sort of break out of kayfabe and aid i mean of course you know we all we all like to say oh kayfabe is dead but like not really because i feel like you're even in like certain wrestling companies cough cough wwe like you're held to like a certain standard of at least while you're in the ring almost all the time like you're gonna be held to accountable to the character that you're playing and I think that AEW is just a little bit more lax on that. And but I think John Moxley is Jonathan Good. Like they're kind of the same guy. Well, yeah, but I would say that I think after all that he's been through in WWE and being able to, you know, come into a company that welcomed him with like open arms and being able to, I guess, have that sort of like crowd reaction that he was chasing all along. Um, can probably be pretty overwhelming when you finally like get what you finally want. So not only are you champion, but you have people super excited for you that you're champion and that they loved the match that you just had. And um, so I think that, you know, I think that that little speech, while it was a little disjointed from his actual character, um, was definitely well-deserved. I didn't like the beginning part of it, but I did like the last little bit because he got kind of Oscar'd off. And by that, I mean, they started playing his music and he literally goes like, did I say play my fucking music? And then he goes, all right, well, I'm going to celebrate tonight. I'm going to go smoke a cigar and drink some whiskey, which was really cool. Um, but also I have a question for you. So he puts on this t-shirt that says like, I was there yeah. when it happened. And then it's the AEW championship with Moxbury painted on it. I'm wondering if they sold that shirt prior to the show starting at the merch stands, because then you're kind of giving away the ending, right? 
No, I doubt it. I, I guarantee you it's probably one of those things where they probably create it, created it and then, like, once the match is over, probably put it on their online store. Um, because, I mean, you know firsthand, and I know firsthand from being at one of those, at least Dynamite, that they don't carry, a, like, a, like, a plethora of their shirts in the way that they do on their online platform, True. which but there's why, obvious reasons for that, but... I guess my question is, why would you put the I was there when it happened on the back and then sell it online? Like, wouldn't you want to sell that to the people that are there? Because if you sell that online, then, like, I could buy the shirt, but I Yes, but then you could see, like, I, I could definitely see one of two things. People being super excited that, oh my god, like, Jen Moxley's, like, you know, the new champion, so they're going to go online and, you know, buy the shirt. Or, what could also happen is, too, is I know that there are, like, venues that will um, have, like, smaller stands open for, like, after, like, the show is over and everybody's walking out that you could, like, get stuff like that. I feel so. like, I feel like they would have had to put it out, like, after the match and okay. right, like, right away, like, yeah. buy the new championship shirt. Anyway, I give this a four out of five as well. I thought it was really good. Super gross. Getting into the crowd. Chris Jericho grabbing the uh the camera and flipping off Moxley while holding the camera was fun and then he like surprised then he just randomly announces himself as the winner which of course wasn't the case <laughs> um I my favorite part of this match though didn't actually have anything to do with the match it was the choir singing Judas and then the crowd singing Judas which yeah, was awesome that was fun and unfortunately for Chris Jericho he had to go from this like amazing female singer to his own voice singing him to the ring which like I love Chris Jericho and I like that song but he's not a great singer <laughs> but anyway, I give this a 4 out of 5. So Olivia, what are your match of the night, performer of the night, and final grade for AEW's Revolution 2020? Alrighty, for as awesome as this last match was, of course my match of the night has to go to my highest rated match of the night, which is definitely going to be the Young Bucks versus Kenny and Hangman Adam Page. The, hang- uh, the Hangman. Yeah, the Hangman. Uh, <laughs> that match was just super intense, super high flying. Of course, I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Young Bucks. I love everything that they do. They can basically do no wrong in my eyes. So Could, could they super kick you in the face? Oh, totally. They could super kick me in the cooch for all I care. Like, <laughs> I love them. Uh, and then my uh, performer that I has to go to John Moxley. I thought that the eye patch ruse was just absolutely epic. Um, and I think that it was just pretty satisfying to see him uh, go home with a win and become new champion. And so my final rating for the show, I think it might surprise you. I'm going to go ahead and give this a four out of five, just because although there were some lulls, there was a, a couple of misses in the show. Overall, I really enjoyed the entire show. Again, I, when I look at like my final rating for the entire show, I not only look at like each of the ratings that I gave matches individually, but I also like to just think about the pay-per-view as a whole in terms of like cohesiveness and in terms of uh, you know, basically, like, divvying up the time slots. I thought that that was, like, done very well. It didn't feel disjointed at all. And then I also like how a lot of the AEW shows are, you know, shorter pay-per-views. I mean, this one was obviously, like, three and a half hours or something, but it didn't feel like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's something that I just really enjoy. So, um, for that, yeah, it gets a, it gets a four out of five. Okay. Uh, you already know my match of the night. I'm not going to even go over it anymore. I could suck that matches wiener <laughs> off all day. Um, my performer of the night, though, might surprise you. You want to take a guess? Um, let me take a wild guess. I'm. Uh, are you going to say... It's either Darby Allen or Pac, I nope. feel like. And no. Orange Cassidy. Oh, dang it. Gets the performer of the night just based off of... This was his coming out party. I mean, this yeah. was like his first singles match. He looked great. Pac made him look great, which is always helpful. Um, and I can't get over that arm drag. That was just... Yeah, that was like, sick. how? 
how do you do that? <laughs> um, and my attire of the night, as I always pick, goes to, again, going to the Young Bucks, man. Of They're course, just killing it. They're wearing these it. black leather pants with, like, purple and blue and pink lightning accents on it. And it looked really cool. Plus, they came out with, I don't like, like, jean jackets. But they came out with this, like, cut-off like jean jackets. Shredded and they looked jean really jackets cool. that were yeah. super cool. Uh, and my final grade is going to be a 4.5 out of 5. All right. Um, I think this is the highest grade I've given a pay-per-view so far. Um, and it's going on the strength of the tag team match, the Darby Allen sammy Guevara match, the Orange Cassidy-Pac match, the world title match. Uh, were all great. And even the lulls, like the women's title match and... Oh, and the Cody and MJF match was really good. Yeah. So the women's title match and the Dustin-Jake Hager match were like the weakest, but... They still... They were still solid. solid stuff. Yeah. yeah, so I give it a 4.5 out of 5. All to right. end the pay-per-view is like, God, after watching it again, I wish we would have been able to go to... I know, that would have been cool. Just to see the Orange Cassidy match, man. For sure. <laughs> and the tag match. Um, okay, so next week we'll be back with AEW Revolution 2021, ironically, Ooh. which is kind of fun. But Olivia, take us home before we head out of here. Absolutely. Please go follow us on Instagram at That's Gotta Be Wrestling. We post really bad memes and also really good memes and all memes in between. Also, go check us out on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or both. Go ahead and give us a follow on either of those platforms, your preferred podcast platforms. And then also go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That definitely helps us out, um, boosts us in the algorithm. You know the thing. You know how technology, technologies um so yeah okay boomer (laughs) thanks um also if you would like to support our podcast we have some really cool laptop stickers on redbubble just search tgbw podcast and you will see our little logo there we've got a couple of cool um laptop stickers there if you want to support us that way but other than that tommy as always thank you for talking wrestling with me of course and uh i'll just make this really lame and do what AEW said and say join the revolution (laughs)